Hello, I'm Smith Rose. Welcome to the Net Hero podcast, and I'm delighted to announce the launch of the Big Zero Show. It will happen on the 21st of June. If you go to the website, which is uh, www.bigzeroshow.com, you'll see what's on offer. Uh, we are offering it to anyone in the energy sector to come along. So if you are an energy end user in the public sector, if you're in the private sector, if you're a supplier or a broker, even if you're an academic or someone who's just interested in the world of energy, please come along, register. It's all free and we'd love to see you there on June the 21st. So uh, you'll start to see much more about the content that's coming up over the next few weeks, but I just thought I'd point you in that direction. Before we talk about today's podcast, which is all about uh, something I think is really quite, it's prescient actually. It's a team from the University of Coventry who've been looking at trying to create a floating house to help sort of disaster resilience in in places affected by climate change. But before I talk that, let's just look at what's been happening the last week. It has been inundated with stories around energy pricing. No surprise there. There's so much that you can read on futurenetzero.com and our sister platform, Energy Live News. But I'd like to just look at a couple of stories that I think away from the price thing are very interesting. And one was Prince Charles, who got a demonstration of fusion energy. He went uh, to see a sort of test by the UK Atomic Energy Authority in Oxford. And obviously, I mean, I am not going to apologise for this. I do believe that we need nuclear in our mix. We need quite a lot of it, I think, for us to get to net zero. I think fusion could be a real game changer. We've talked about it for decades. I've spoken to people who said, yes, yes, we talked about it 40 years ago. But I actually do think right now the world is getting together and looking at this and trying to progress it. And we will get there. You know, there was a boost to uh, research just back in November with £2.3 million. And now this test uh, that has been done in Oxford. And I think, you know, these things are good. They are good because whatever people say, to have bulk load, you're going to need clean, mass, easily produced energy. And that happens to be nuclear energy. I'm not saying it's the only answer, but I certainly think it's very much part of what we need. And fusion, well, I mean, that's the holy grail. It's what powers the sun. It gives us the cleanest energy we can get. So if we get towards that, then fantastic. The other thing that um, also struck me was uh, a report about heat pumps. Now, idea that we're going to electrify heating I think it's a very tricky one for us to pull off. I think it's a good idea in new builds. I don't know how we're going to do it in the sort of houses that I live in or most of you live in. So the installation of a heat pump right now, if you look at recent research from Western Power, um, one of the uh, sort of grid operators, they've said it's about 15 grand. Now 15 grand is enormous. That's upgrading your electricity supply. Because if you think about it, the average home, you know, I live in a 30s house. It's got a 60 amp main power that comes into the house, right? And 60 amps is quite a lot, but it isn't a lot if you start taking all your heating, which is now done by my gas boiler, and put that onto a heat pump and then have an electric car and then have much more internet connected devices. So we're looking at finding money and how we do that. I don't know because I can't think of many people who could afford 15 grand for an upgrade 
to their property. And remember, they might have to dig up the cabling outside your house, near your neighbors. It becomes a really big thing. So I do believe that electrification of heat has a big role to play, but I'm not certain how we'll do it with the costs that are currently involved. And I think that is something that we have got to, I, I suppose it's got to be the industry, but it's also got to be government decide whether which pathway we go, because it's a lot easier for us to try and reduce the carbon in our heat using hydrogen than trying to electrify. So I think that's, that's a really big story for us to watch. And the final one I think is a great one. It's, um, <laughs> as they used to say, if you're old enough, uh, you know, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off. You'll know what I'm talking about. And, and the Italian job, and the famous chase uh, with the minis. And BMW, who own Mini, have said that they're going to help you convert your old Mini. So if you've got Austin Mini, you know, the ones that I used to race around in the, from the sort of 70s and 80s, uh, the actual small Minis, then they've got a process called Mini Recharge It'll help you take your Mini, rip out the engine, and turn it into a fantastic EV. So they'll replace the petrol engine and the drivetrain and make it all battery powered. And it'll go 62 miles in nine seconds. Now, I remember a Mini was terrifying just driving at 30 miles an hour because you're so low down. So imagine what it'll do. So uh, it's an interesting one. It's, uh, I think it's a great idea because there's still this thing that certain cars look fantastic and they are cars with petrol engines. But hey, if we can have what they look like, but then put in the new battery and make them cleaner, then why won't we do it? So that was the news there. Remember, you can catch up on futurenetzero.com. Let's go on to the podcast today, which is about something I think that's very important and sadly, we will need more of. How do we have disaster resilience in places that are affected by climate change? Now we saw what's happened recently with the Tonga tsunami and earthquake there. Now that's not a climate change related thing, but you saw what happened, the flooding that comes out. Places around the world are now facing, you know, many of those countries were there at COP in November, real risk of flooding as the world moves up, as we get changes in sea level. And so a team of students in Coventry University have got together uh, from a business school and they entered the competition got to the finals unfortunately they didn't want but that was a great concept it's called the floating house and so what they've said is how do you help people the poorest people build houses in areas that are liable for flooding as, as climate change increases in a way that allows the house to rise so basically the house has uh, steel piles that anchor them in as the water level goes up the house goes up but what's interesting about this concept is it's about using the materials that are there so not getting someone to build it for you but using the corrugated metal sheets using old water bottles or barrels to help them so i spoke to two people i spoke to professor sukalaya sawang who's the associate dean at the business school and one of the students who in, in fact it was, i think it was his idea uh, from vietnam he's originally from uh duk Gun, who took part in this team that tried to come up with the concept of this floating house so have a listen to this now the topic for this week's uh podcast is something we we spotted it was a great story uh, and i thought it was a, a fantastic idea it was a Students were asked around the world to take part in a study to see what they could do and come up with concepts 
uh, for sort of uh, disaster preparation, things like that. And the team from Coventry University created a concept which has been done before, but I think was very innovative about a floating house, basically, so that when we have, unfortunately, what's happening with climate change, more and more disasters around the world, environmental disasters, we've just seen what's happened in Haiti recently. This is the sort of house that can be used in developing nations, pulled together with things like barrels and bits of wood and galvanized metal sheets, and it'll float above the flooding. So I think it's a great idea of where, unfortunately, as we transition and we see what's happening, that we are fighting this climate change. These are the sort of solutions that we need around the world. And I'm delighted to say today I'm joined by part of that team from Coventry University, Professor Sukalana Sawang, who's the Associate Dean for Global Engagement, and one of the students there, Duk Naigun. Have I got, have I got that right, Duk? Have I got your surname right? Yes, that's right. Thank you. Okay, brilliant. Excellent. Sukalana, how are you? Hi, uh, I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, so let's let's just talk about the competition first before we talk about what you did. So go on, explain this is this was a competition. I think it's called Global Business School Network and the Humlog Institute. Something to do with humanitarian. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So this is this is the global competitions. Uh, it is the international competitions where we got a a, a world class business school teams that joined to this comp- uh, competition from sixteen countries, uh, twenty one business school from and on a six continent uh, six continents that joined to, to this part. So I think it's uh, I'm, I'm proud to saying that the our country business school team uh, have been selected to the uh, a finalist. Uh, competing with the world-class business schools such as MIT and also uh, uh, QUT Business School in, in Australia. And um, I think this is a, a something that showcased uh, our students uh, uh, use the creativity and, and what we learn inside the class and outside the class to actually address the climate change in an innovative way. I guess that uh, Duke can tell us all about, you know, the ideas of how can we address the climate change, particularly in the de- developing countries, um, you know, uh, later on as well. Yeah, so um, tell me what uh, th- this competition is looking at. It's looking at, I think it was 37 teams came, and they're looking at solutions that unfortunately are based around, you know, disaster resilience around the world. Is that right? Exactly. So 37 teams all together, uh, 130 students uh, from the uh, 16 countries. So try to address this uh, disaster that come from, you know, result from the climate change, you know, something that we see day in, day out more and more these days. And a lot of uh, a lot of ideas from each team are brilliant. You know, it's, it's really tough competitions to get into the finalists. I'm, I'm really proud of our students. Uh, <laughs> I can <this> tell. <laughs> <laughs> tell me, tell me what, what you teach, because you, you're, you're part of global engagement. So what what is that? I've never even heard of that subject in, in, in uh, the school. Oh, so uh, uh, sorry. More. I think my title is the Associate Dean. Um, so I'm, I'm, I look after the faculty in terms of, you know, the, the, the global activities, international activities. Me, myself, I'm Professor of Entrepreneurship. So ah. looking at some innovations, you know, creativities, how to improve uh, things that we do, you know, to make it more entrepreneurial. But okay. I think Duke, Duke and the team, they, uh, they employ this concept and enhance it from what they learn and make it better for, for have a better society. So Duke, tell me about what, what is the subject you're studying anyway? Are you just doing generic business or what, what are you studying? 
Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so uh, long story short, uh, my name is Doug, and um, I'm currently a student taking the master program uh, at Kopechi University. And my master program is in um, accounting and financial management. That doesn't sound very similar to building houses out of barrels. <laughs> yeah, coming from a financial background, I'm really happy to me and my team to generate the idea and improve the existing idea itself. So where are you from originally? So I'm from Vietnam. And so obviously Vietnam has been hit, you know, with a, quite a few natural disasters. What, what, what attracted you to trying to enter this competition? Yeah, um, you know, with the first time I was introduced uh, to the competition. And um, as you know, we are living in the developed country and we don't experience the disaster that much. But mm. I'm originated from Vietnam and I understand my people over there. And in Vietnam, Vietnam is exposed to many types of floods that can yes. cause, you know, severe economic losses and damage to the infrastructure and, you know, loss of time, uh, the loss of life. So that really encouraged me to come up with an idea and to uh, help the people back home. Have you witnessed anything, uh, hopefully nothing with your family, but have you seen things like that taking place? Because obviously we see it around the other side of the world and we see reported pictures from, you know, Bangladesh, Vietnam, you look at the Philippines and you see floods. And I think there's a terrible kind of, I suppose we get fatigued. We just, we don't realize what it actually means to, to live in that. Have you witnessed any of it or, or seen what's happened in Vietnam yourself? Yeah, I've seen, I, since uh, I grew up in Vietnam for 20 years, so I experienced uh, a lot of it, like uh, on the news or with my own experience. The floods does come really quickly in half an hour, and then it can rise up to one meter or two meters. Wow. And that is, yeah, really uh, tragedy uh, in Vietnam. And what happens in terms of resilience right now? I mean, I assume people are starting to build different kinds of houses and things, but I suppose a lot of people are, are too poor and they, and they just get caught in it when this happens. Yeah, uh, from my perspective, the floating house is an existing idea, but, you know, uh, they might make it more like for design purpose. And I realized that it doesn't really applicable for less privileged people. And I want to make it like more cost effective and approachable to more people, um, not only in Vietnam, but also worldwide. Explain what the house is to, to, the, to the listeners. What, what's, it, what, what's, the, what's it made of and how do you put it together? Yeah, sure. Um, so basically, the floating shelter is attached to for anchoring steel pipes. Uh, which fix the whole structure into one place. And then uh, on the floor, there will be multiple empty uh, plastic barriers uh, tied up underneath of the ground floor. And, um, you know, it gives the house the ability to float uh, when the flood approaches. And so the, the, the house doesn't float away. It's still fixed in a position, but it can, it can rise up as the water increases. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. And the house um, can rise up to three to five meters uh, wow. length. Wow. That's a, I mean, this is sort of an ancient concept, isn't it? I think I'm not brilliant with my architecture, but I think parts of Venice are built on the same thing of kind of floating kind of ballast tanks that, that raise it. How expensive is a house like this to build? Because obviously 
what you're saying is it, it, it's great for resilience, but these materials must cost to, to make it, to fix the, the pilings. Have you found a way of trying to make it cheaper? Yeah, um, in terms of um, feasibility, I think and the economic aspect is, uh, plays a really important role here. So the house will cost around uh, 1400 USD and mm -hmm. it includes uh, the material cost and the labor cost already. The building time is estimated at around three to five working days. And the design of the house is very straightforward. It is very easy to follow. And you know, it, there is indeed no architect required. So um, we modified the original design a little bit. Like we have the recycled barriers uh, underneath and then for the wall uh, and the roof, we use the metal sheet um, to make it more lightweight and more um, effective in terms of um, building and construction. What's your hope for something like this? Um, is the idea that kind of disaster agencies or actual local governments can can build houses with this material? Because it obviously, I mean, you, you know, even, even $1,400 is a lot of money for a lot of people. So I assume we're looking at kind of agencies, NGOs to, to, to build these. Is that what you're hoping? Yeah, that is exactly what we aim for. And, you know, to reduce the price to 1400 USD, we also hope that the people, the local community can have, you know, can spend their extra money to uh, have a, a house um, themselves as well. Where do you see these being built? You said it's like, is it, do you say four to five days to build it? Yeah, that's right. Um, it only requires three to five working days with uh, three skilled workers. So with three days, so it's almost like a kit. It's like an IKEA house, <laughs> a kit house. I mean, in, in all seriousness, where, what's, what's been the reaction when you've put this idea out there? What did, they, what did the judges say in this competition? The competition was uh, happening in November, so it was a, a while ago. And um, the judges really, you know, um, the reason why we get to the top six uh, finalists is that they just really like our idea. And um, they really want to promote the idea globally. Have you got it to anyone? Is anyone taking it on? Hopefully, um, maybe someone's yes. listening who could take it on. It sounds a brilliant idea. Um, at the moment, um, because you know, it's just a competition, and we only come to expand the idea more, um, more globally. And uh, I, I, I haven't got any anyone to support the idea. So you need you need some promotion. Good. Well, we'll we'll do that for you. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Sumit, if I if I if I can join in, yeah, I do. I think that the the, the, the strength of this uh, project that make uh, a contribution school student teams uh, went into the finalists is the uh, applicability and low cost and also its feasibility that even in the middle class or lower income community can mm. actually building it and take this concept, just like you say, it's the IKEA, even though it's not the flat pack, yeah. but the, the material that used is the local, it's not hard to find. Yes. And the skills that put this, this, this concept of housing together, it doesn't require the highly skilled people where in the developing countries might not have a highly skilled people to do it. But because this one is simple enough and, and it's feasible and it's 
practical and yes. also will, will, will help their life uh, a better avoiding that this disaster so i think that in in the future what we can see if anyone listen to to this podcast i mean reach out to us if, if they want to know a more idea and how they can implement it in their community particularly in the uh, developing countries community where you don't have a high uh, skills or uh, a lot of resources to build something that more complicated i think this is going to be a, a great project how to implement it that's that's where we offer the the knowledge um, you know as a part of this competition yeah what did you think of it sugalaya because it's a great idea but but the idea is based on what's really needed, isn't it? When you see what's happening, when you go to disasters and you see the stuff, it is about immediate aid straight away. And if we can avoid people being made homeless by having a house that copes, because let's face it, globally, we all know there is gonna be more flooding. It's happening even in this country. It's certainly happening in tropical countries much more. There are many, you know, I was at COP, in November and, you know, meeting people from around the world, particularly from people from Pacific Islands. And this is the sort of thing that they're living with now, aren't they? This is, the, this is not kind of, this was for tomorrow. There are risks of this kind of flooding happening right now. Exactly, Samit. I really, I really echo your view here. And a lot of time we're thinking about how we help them when they face the disaster. So we got a lot of aid, uh, the aid kit and the aid care team to, to jump in when the disaster started or happening. But actually we can do the prevention by yes. you know, having kind of this project, you know, if charities or anyone wants to donate artworks, hours, materials or money, they can do this. And let's say to start from the small, you know, uh, 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 donate this floating house, maybe five per village, for example, you know, at least they, they, they're building up more resilient in that kind of sense. What do you hope, Duke, with this idea? When you, were, when you guys were talking about it, and I know there were three more students in your team, is that right? Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah. When you were putting it all together, obviously you, you brought your own experiences. What, what were the others thinking about this? One of the most difficult uh, for me and my teammates is that we were at the final semester of the master program. And, you know, we all need uh, to spend a lot of time to do research for our dissertation. Yeah. Um, so to, you know, to convince my teammates to join me and to come to the challenge is that they are from a developing country as well, just like me. Right. And, yeah, when I introduced the idea to them, they, they, I just get them on the boat with me right away because they know that uh, the concept uh, is going to help a lot of people, not only in um, Vietnam, but in developing other developing countries. Yeah. You, what you want to do, from what I gather, is you're trying to make this so that people can use local materials to make this. They don't have to have anything imported. It's metal sheeting. It's barrels. Yeah, that is exactly... Yeah, that is exactly what we aim uh, we aim for. Um, so we want to utilize uh, the recycled materials and the low cost materials, um, so that in every country in the world they can utilize um, and have the con to 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 build the house right away. That is exactly what uh, we want. Well, I think you've done a brilliant job. Um, so like, what's what's your hope for this and and this sort of work? You know, you talk about you know professor of uh, entrepreneurship. In a way, 
sadly, we're going to need ideas like this, aren't we? We're going to have to have solutions for climate change problems right now. Exactly. And I guess that it, it can start from the smaller scale, like, for example, you know, encourage, you know, students uh, either in a primary, secondary school or even the students in university to kind of participate, you know, this kind of uh, the uh, climate change uh, issues, problem solving competition. So build their uh, awareness and build their um, uh, thinking about how can we address that issues and then from there from the idea uh, from creativities that they develop some prototyping or, or project and that could be uh, enhanced into the real uh, practical project maybe uh, they can work with uh, some organizations to make things happen so that can work from the foundation scale as well rather than oftentimes we're looking at how to address the climate change we target into the business and the industry and the government level i i think we can do top down but and also the bottom up as well so this is like a local solution that could be done straight away yeah i get it um is the house uh, can we ever can we see the house or was it just a concept or did you actually build it um, so um because you know the competition was only for uh, for week time and we didn't have a chance to build the house we we can only construct it um the design and um make it like into a visual uh, into a picture into a concept right so you haven't built it yet, Duke. This is this is gonna be good, interesting. We should we should get you to build one. <laughs> yeah, I really hope in the future. Listen, um, thank you both very much for joining us, Duke. I think it's a a great idea you and your fellow students came up with, and and you know I I, I hate to say it, but it's the sort of thing we're gonna need more of these sort of solutions, and you know bringing home the reality for millions around the planet. You know we can sit here very comfortably in the UK and. Yes, we get a bit of flooding and things happen and, you know, it's, it's yeah, sometimes it, it's, it's terrible loss of life, but generally it's inconvenience and it's finance. But, you know, as you said, from your own home country, it's a matter of life and death for people. So really, really amazing stuff you're doing there. Thank you very much for joining us both on the future Net Zero podcast here today. You really are net heroes. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Samit. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here today. Thank you. I think it's a very clever idea what they've done. Wish them all the best with that. And hopefully, maybe someone can look at that, fund it and create, uh, you know, away from their prototype, real examples of this. And we can start deploying something like this in areas that are under threat. Uh, that's about it from me for this week. Um, what I'd like to do is make sure that you are subscribing to this podcast. And you are. We've hit 5,000 downloads. So thank you very much. It's a fantastic achievement. We'd like to get more, so spread the word. Tell your friends, tell your colleagues. Remember, Big Zero Show, June the 21st. You can go to the website, bigzeroshow.com, or you can find it from our futurenetzero.com uh, and you can navigate that way. Register for your ticket. We'll start bringing you the news of who is speaking, what you can get involved in, and it's going to be a, cr a cracking day to start doing things around net zero. I know there's been a lot of talk lately about kind of, can we afford to do this? You know, the cost of bills, and I know cost is a big thing, but I would just reiterate to you that we, we, we have to find the money. We've got to find a way of doing this. And that's up to governments, it's up to businesses, it's up to uh, energy suppliers, but we can't ignore what's happening. So I hope you'll keep supporting what we're doing at futurenetzero.com. Until next week, adios. <laughs>